So hello and welcome. Happy Friday. Today is Friday, July the 14th, and this is Backyard Beekeeping Questions and Answers, episode number 215. I'm Frederick Dunn, and this is the way to be. So I'm really glad that you're here. Thanks for joining me. And if you want to know what we're going to talk about today, please look down in the video description below and you'll see line item by line item exactly what we're going to discuss. Also, if you're listening as a podcast and you're on Podbean, for example, the podcast is titled The Way to Be. So you could Google that and see if your podcast, your favorite app works with this uh, podcast. So, and if you're on Podbean, you'll also see that there are links and topics with numbers that correspond with the timestamps that go on here. So you can click on your podcast and it'll take you to the YouTube video and then you can see it. So if you want to know how to submit your own, please go to thewaytobe.org and look at the page, The Way to Be. There's a form there. You can fill it out and submit a topic for consideration. I tried to include everything I could, but today we're only doing 10 topics. So what else is going on? Oh yeah, storms are coming. I'm in the northeastern United States, so depending on where you are, weather has been really weird, but it's 79 degrees Fahrenheit right now. That's 26 degrees Celsius, 2 mile per hour wind, so that's not bad at all. Rain tomorrow, storms tomorrow. In fact, for the next three days where I live, we're going to have rain, wind, and storms. So we're going to talk a little bit about that. One of the good things going on today is the relative humidity is only 57%. What's good about that? you should see a lot less bearding on the front of your hives and bees hanging on your landing boards because it's much easier at 57% relative humidity for your bees to dry out their honey. That's right, and that's a 26% drop from yesterday. So it was really humid yesterday. That's why you see the combination of heat, high humidity. You see a lot of bearding going on. So that's pretty much it. Uh, what else can we talk about? I think that's it. We'll get right started. Uh, Keith from Lincoln, Nebraska has the first question. I've got an unused nucleus hive, five over five, deep and medium, that I bought as a swarm trap but didn't have any luck. Is it too late in the year to make a split for my established colony? Which colony should raise the new queen? Okay, so here's the thing. Lincoln, Nebraska, I don't know. If you're like me, I wouldn't be doing splits now. Unless I had an obnoxiously large colony that was at risk of being overly populated. But we're talking about uh, wanting to use your nuke, which is a deep and a medium. And uh, that's a good size, by the way, for starting out a colony. But it depends on what you want out of your bees, too. So if they're fully loaded and you've got a colony that's got seven or eight frames of brood, you could start it. Also, I don't know what's going on in Lincoln, Nebraska. I don't know if you have a meaningful nectar flow coming up. A lot of people are talking about uh, they've already done their honey extraction for the year, which is weird to me because here in the northeastern United States, we have two heavy nectar flows, one in the spring, which is done now. Uh, if you looked at the opening video sequences, we had them on milkweed primarily. They're also on elderberries. I'm sure there's lots of other things that they're on. They're ignoring the self-heal, which is too bad, but it means they've got plenty to eat and they're on the white clover. So there's lots of things that the bees are beyond right now, but you're going to have to find out for your region if you have a nectar flow ahead, because that's the perfect time to be creating a split and establishing a new colony with lots of new resources coming in. Also, it makes a difference if the frames that are in that nucleus hive, are they already drawn? Is there plenty of comb or will they be dependent upon you for sugar syrup, for example, 
to help them draw new comb or is there heavy nectar flow that they can exploit for that. So there are lots of things to consider. This is a regional thing. If you want to know where you live, if you've got a really good area where there's no dearth or if you're in a dearth or what the history kind of is as far as forage for your bees, beescape.org. B-E-E-S-C-A-P-E.org. I mention them all the time. I have no connection with those people and uh, I get no compensation for sending you that way. It's just good information. So question number two, moving on, comes from Sandra, Johnson City, Tennessee. I have one lands hive. When I got into it today, July the 9th, three frames of honey have collapsed. That's a mess, you guys. I don't like that story. The frames are wired from Dr. Leo. To prevent this, should I add horizontal wires before I put it back in the box? I'm in zone 7A. So a lot of people are getting extreme heat. And here's the thing about it. This was a thumbnail for today, the Lands frame. And uh, it ties into something I was doing before. This is the Lands frame, by the way. It's big. How big is it? How does it compare to a Langstroth frame? Well, here's the deep Langstroth frame. Here's the Lands. Let's put them on the same focal distance here so you can see how different they are. So obviously more vertical, more vertical. But the concern that is being voiced here is see these wires, the support wires for the beeswax that's on here. And I bought my beeswax also from Dr. Leo. I bought two Lands hives, the best ones that he has listed there um, from Dr. Leo. And then I bought a bunch of this foundation. But here's the thing, a lot of my foundation too, when this runs to full length, uh, it gets all saggy down here. And why do you think that is? Uh, I think there weren't enough bees on it to keep it uh, under control. I think that probably when we have these full frames, that's a huge frame of foundation. And then the bees, of course, have to draw out the honeycomb from that. Now, if it's too long, I think the bees uh, ignore a bunch of it. So we know that bees, when they're working honeycomb and they're building it down, they, they tend to start attaching at the underside of the top bar. And then you'll see little plates of honeycomb coming down, leaves, loaves, whatever you want to call them, and then they'll start drawing that out. But look at the orientation of, I don't know if you can see it, but the support wires here are vertical. And I think the reason for that is because these are so tall. If they're horizontal wires, then there would be a lot of stress on the vertical sides of each of these frames. That's just my guess. I didn't design them. I don't know what's going on. But you're right, your honeycomb could slide down. And if we compare this to a wired Langstroth frame, the wires do run side to side, and that prevents sagging in the middle. And of course, wires are only necessary, for those of you who are new, uh, when you're attaching wax foundation. And this isn't just any beeswax. If you go to Dr. Leo's website, which is horizontalbees.com, uh, or it might be horizontal B. I don't know if there's an S, but you'll find it because there's nothing else like it in your search. But uh, he sells this really thick foundation that comes from Spain from an area where there's no agriculture, no industrial agriculture, and therefore no industrial agriculture related chemicals that would end up in here, pesticides, herbicides, whatever might be out there. So that's why I bought this. But here's the thing. One of my viewers, and I'm really sorry, I forget the name of the person that said this. 
But when I showed the recent video, I showed the comb sagging, and if you want to see it yourself, I'll put a link to that video. You can see what I'm talking about. The ones that the bees drew themselves uh, did not sag. Those that have the heavy wax foundation all the way down did sag quite a bit, and then a disaster like Sandra has here, where it actually sagged out or caved or whatever happened that was bad. We don't want honeycomb full of honey to be sagging and then leaking honey everywhere. Can you imagine the mess? I've never had that happen, but here's what I did. This stuff is expensive, so if I cut it into thirds, now I can put foundation starter strips on three different lens frames, and they get uh, started out easy. They start at the top, which means they're gonna be controlling this right away, and I think as they build their own comb down to the bottom that it won't sag then, much as it did in the video that I showed um, when we were doing a mite count and we're doing a sugar shake, for example, to count for mites. But uh, thank you for the person that said, hey, just cut it up, save some strips and uh, do starters. And because we know the bees can manage that, they start at the top and then they're gonna work their way down. And also don't add extra frames too far ahead of the population of the bees inside the hive. They can't control the climate. So they would have probably prevented that from overheating and sagging. But I think that's a great idea. This is my little bin of Dr. Leo's foundation because I've experimented with a lot of different ways of attaching it. So even the crimping tools and everything else, the little rollers and all that stuff, the best method for attaching it that I can find is to run electricity through those wires and let them heat up and let the foundation settle into that and let it close on both sides of the wire. If you have too much wire on one side or the other, you'll find that your bees start to avoid that section. They may even build their comb around it. So it's really important, if you're looking at a cross section of uh, the beeswax, let me just rack a bunch of it. Um, if you look at the cross section here, we want the wire to go right into the center of that. So when you look on both sides, you should see equal exposure of wire in the center of the cells. And you can also try to run your wire, tough to do though, uh, where the cells connect with each other so it doesn't run through the center of the cell, but that's too fussy in my opinion. If you embed it really good, they'll work it out from both sides. But if it's on one side or the other, the side that your wires are exposed the most on, of course the bees are gonna work around it, and that's annoying. Let me do it with my first page. So now we're gonna go on, that was question number two. Let's do question three. This comes from Brandon from Philadelphia, Missouri. So Fred, can you please explain the various methods to remove workers from honey supers once they're ready to harvest? I would also like to hear about storing them once no longer needed. So here's the thing about removing bees from supers. Here's the backyard method. And then of course there are commercial people that are in a big rush and they have to get everything done before the weather turns and stuff like that. My favorite method for getting bees out of a honey super, queen excluder, not queen excluder. I take that back. This is an escape board. So this is the bottom of the escape board with all the little cones on it. This is the top. So your honey super goes on top of this. The rest of your hive goes underneath. It's also, by the way, a great way when you're combining colonies. Because let's say you have a wheat colony right now. 
and you've got a deep brood box on the bottom and you, you're queenless, they're hopelessly queenless, they're just gonna start producing laying workers and then you're in a pickle there too. And those colonies are doomed without being provided with another queen. So we're later in the year, why not put that weaker colony on top of a stronger colony using this escape board? This is made by Cirrusel. There are, these have been around for a very long time. There are a bunch of different types of them. There are the triangle, the wooden ones. We have them all here, but they all serve the same purpose. That's my favorite way to get them out. And it's time consuming, why? Because you have to lift up the honey super, put the escape board on and put the honey super back on top. But it is the easiest for the bees and that's because they wander through there and the escape cones eliminate their return into the honey super. So they'll move down with the rest of them and then they can't get back up. And the reason I like it is because you notice there's slats all throughout this. So the bees underneath are coming up because they're smelling the honey up above. They want to get back up there. So they go up against these little slats and they are not prone to go back through these cones. And you can buy those cones too, by the way, and make your own version. So you don't have to get it from Cirrusel. So here's the other thing. Um, I have good friends that, of course, have different methods of getting bees out of their supers, and some of them have to get through a lot of supers fast. And one of the favorite methods these days, because everything's battery-powered and electric and convenient, and there are leaf blowers that are battery-powered that produce 110-mile-an-hour winds at the nozzle of your leaf blower, and they just set their honey supers up right on their sides, and they blow all the bees out of it, and then the bees find their way back to the hive. Now, I want to explain something about that. I'm not telling you you can't do it, but I do want you to be aware of what's going on when you do. So when you blast your bees with this high velocity uh, wind that comes from your leaf blower, and who doesn't want the most powerful leaf blower they can find? Usually people do. Mine is DeWalt. I think you could sit on a skateboard and shoot yourself right down the street with it. But uh, here's the thing. I mentioned to this individual that was explaining that to me, I said, did you notice a lot of bees on the grass, coming to the grass behind where you blew your bees out of your honey super? And do you know why they're doing that? Because you've blown the abdomens right off of a lot of your bees. And of course their nectar crop was torn open and that nectar from their honey stomach went out onto the grass and the other bees are there collecting that residue. So um, if you really want to look it over, you might want to rethink maybe how much air you're using to get through there and maybe blasting them out of there in just a minute or less is uh, it's expedient. It's a great way to get through a lot of supers in a short amount of time. But I want you to be aware of what that high velocity, that 100 mile an hour, 90 mile an hour, whatever it happens to be, what that kind of wind does to the bees when they're trying to hold on, but they're being blasted out, some of them are being blown apart physically. So just be aware of that for those of you who like to blow them out. Other people like to get an LP air hose, get out there with a little nozzle on it and blow that out because they've got a compressor handy. And again, I just say the same thing. Do your tests and find out if a bunch of bees are coming to the ground behind that, you might want to question why they're coming there and what the condition is of some of the bees that you're blowing out. So anyway, the rest of it is the storage part. After your frames, now I like to use Hive Butler totes. I realize those are expensive. And if you're commercial, you're probably not going to set up, you know, 100 Hive Butler totes. Uh, they hold 10 frames a piece and they hold them any depth, deep, medium, shallow, it doesn't matter. 
And the good news about those is if you've got your, your honey is drawn out pretty thick on the frames, they don't rub against each other because the tote is set up. The Ive Butler tote is much wider than an actual 10 frame deep box or even a medium or shallow, it makes no difference. And it holds them apart, plus it keeps them off the bottom. So it's a great way to transport uh, frames that you've just pulled out of the hives because here's another method for the backyard beekeeper who may be going through one frame at a time to see that it's fully capped. 80% capped or better is good enough for you to pull the honey. So then you can just pull them out the way I did when I first got started and shake the bees off. And then once you shake the bees off, then you put it right in your tote. Back then I was using uh, just a thermos tote or something like that. But the point was that then I could put the lid on right away and robber bees weren't coming to get into my uh, capped honey that I was going to take into the garage, which is my fancy extractor room. And early on, of course, extraction was uh, in the kitchen too. So here's the thing. You can store them like that, but I'm going to do a shout out today for another great beekeeper, part of the stream team, and it's called Bruce's Bees. So if you want to know how he stores it, because he does some chemical treatments to his hives, I don't. Uh, but then again, I'm not storing, you know, 400 supers in a big building that uh, pests might want to get into. The hive butler totes definitely prevent pests from getting in and affecting your uh, frames after extraction. So, and you can keep them in those all winter long. And then in the spring, you can even wash them out because they're handy. So, but I'm going to send you to Bruce's Bees. Uh, the title of his video is... Uh, Beekeeping, do this to safely store your comb. And then in parentheses it says, comb is gold. And that was published on July the 8th, so it wasn't actually very long ago. So I'm going to put a link to the video description, or you can just search for it. If you already subscribed to Bruce, then uh, you'll find it right away. So those are my answers for that. Next one, question number four, comes from Mike Fall Creek, Wisconsin. Hi Fred, wondering if you could talk about mite treatment. Are you using OA Vapor on your Layens hives? And could you explain how that might work? I'm also curious about the time of year to treat. Will treating after you harvest in the fall give them enough time to recover? And can OA treatment, oxalic acid, by the way, uh, be done with their fall honey reserves still on? If so, can you harvest the remaining honey in the spring? And is that safe for human consumption? Okay, so I can tell Mike and those of you that are listening that uh, whatever might decide that you use inside your hive uh, is regulated federally, but it's also regulated state by state. In other words, federal regulations may set a benchmark, such as uh, you can use oxalic acid vaporization or dribble, for example, and uh, you can use that even with your honey supers on that are set up for human consumption. The FDA has approved it. So the other part of that is states can put tighter restrictions. There are still some states that don't even allow oxalic acid to be used as a miticide. So you have to look up your own state, Department of Agriculture, and see what the regulations are. It is a miticide, so you have to fall into that. But here where I live, state of Pennsylvania, it's perfectly legal and it's allowed to use. Um, so the other thing is uh, what time of year, and this is timely, because right now this is crunch time. This is July. The reason you really want to find out the status of your hives and you want to find out what the varroa levels are in them. Some of you might be practicing treatment free. Some of you might be treating. Some of you 
do not count your mites and just fly blind. So that's the part I don't recommend. I do recommend if you're not comfortable looking for mites in your hives or figuring out what your mite loads are and looking for signs of heavy mite infestations, other than just looking at your bees, oh, they look clean and healthy. I don't think there's any mites in there. So knowing how to count mites, I think is very important. And the reason is we want to know before now. So when right now we're in a semi-dearth period, the brood is, is drawn down a little, so production is not as high as it would be in spring. And then here where I live, we're going to ramp up again next month. So when they ramp up production, they also ramp up brood. And when they ramp up brood, they ramp up mite reproduction. So one to two adult mites per cycle of reproduction of your bees will be coming out. So it's just math that uh, they could potentially double every month, which means if you started back in June and you had one mite in your count, then you would expect three months down the road to have three mites, right? Is that how that works? If they double every month? So if it was one, it was two, then it would be four, then it would be six, then it would be, you know, 12 and so on. I don't like math. Anyway, but it doubles. So the lower numbers you have to begin with, the better it is. Now, here's the other part of it. You wipe out your mites completely, let's say, but there were mites. Now what? We have bees that have been impacted by the disease that's vectored by the varrodestructor mites. So that's why you want to do it early because your critical bees are your fat-bodied winter bees that they produce. They produce those during periods of dearth too, but they also do it primarily as the weather gets cold, as all of the flowers and all the nectar sources shut down, pollen is starting to leave the environment. And now your bees are producing winter bees. These are heavy bees that have much more fat in their bodies and they have the resources in their body to sustain minimal brood going through winter so that you have a living colony in spring. So the reason we talk about that right now is because the month of July is the month to think about getting varrodestructor mites as low as you possibly can. And uh, this is a time for treatment too, because we're going to go into another nectar flow and then we're going to have a honey harvest at the end of the year. So we want to get them, if you're doing brood breaks and things like that, they're already at lower numbers right now. So your brood break would have a lower impact on uh, the population of your colony going into the end of summer. So I think this is the perfect time to be doing it. Now, the question is about the lands hive. How would I treat them with oxalic acid? And I did treat one hive this year so far. And it was the lands, and that's because they had a lot of evidence of a mite infestation. Even though my sugar shake produced one varroa destructor mite, there was evidence of mite feces in some of the brood cells and things like that. So there was evidence, and there was also deformed wing virus on a couple of the bees that were in there, which is most often a source of disease from varrodestructor mites inhabiting your colony. So I did treat that one. And uh, here's the problem too. It's the lands hive. I don't have a, you know, a bottom board where I can pull a tray out. I don't have a screen. I can't. In other words, when I do a treatment, I can't look at that in 48 hours and see what kind of mite drop I had from the treatment, which I really enjoy doing with my other hives. Uh, so that's one way that you know, other than counting your mites, if you do an oxalic acid treatment, which by the way, is considered organic. So you don't lose an organic certification, for example, although in the United States, we really can't get an organic certification for our honeybees. We can't get an or 
organic certification for the honey itself. Uh, but you can treat your bees organically. In other words, with materials that are coming from the environment like oxalic acid. So once you do the treatment, uh, if you need it, if you don't need it, I'm not saying that you should. So, but uh, count the mites, get them ahead of time, knock them down so that we have as little disease in your colonies as possible going into the fall. This is the time. Now with the Layens hive, it's full of, if you bought your hives as I did from Dr. Leo, it's full of uh, sheep's wool. That's how it's insulated. So you're gonna be pretty darn annoyed when you go drill in a quarter inch hole if you've got like the Instant Vape or the ProVap. Uh, if you've got these vaporizers that go through a quarter inch hole, and I highly recommend it because those are fantastic and super versatile, and there's nothing out there better right now than the Instant Vape, Instant Vap, however you want to say it, but it's a vaporizer. It is the most accurate thermal control and it delivers the best quality oxalic acid because oxalic acid when delivered through something that has unregulated heat can decay and be destroyed that's a discussion for another time but uh, there aren't solid pieces of wood on the back and the sides of that hive but guess where it is on the front of your layens hive you have three entrances if you purchase your hive from dr leo the entrances are drilled through solid material so there's a band of wood that runs across the entire front so what I do is, here's the entrance, I drill my quarter inch hole off to the side of that, close the entrance, put the instant vape in there, and then I give them the dose that's appropriate for the size of the colony, follow the label, and uh, that way I treat for mites, and that's what I did on the one colony. So, And uh, monitoring is very, very important. I think whether you treat or not, good to know. If you have mite loads, because if you're trying to celebrate the success of treatment-free bees, uh, you need to know what kind of mite loads they're enduring because not all treatment-free bees are mite-free. What they're doing is they're demonstrating that they can survive with mites present. So they have a lot of other things going for them. Great nutrition, the environmental resources, by the way, if the deer were not eating all of my sunflowers right now, um, sunflowers benefit your bees, uh, even though it's not their sunflower Pollen is not a top-tier protein for your bees. It somehow has an impact on foul brood and destructor mites and things like that that have not yet been tested or validated. So multi-pronged approach, you know, great management, brood breaks, things like that, mite counts, so you know. Question number five comes from Dustin from Moundsview, Maine. So anyway, uh, you mentioned in episode 214 that drones are flying around at uh, day three and visiting the closest hive for a handout. And also that day three mark is about the time for row mites are starting to get disinterested and hanging on them. So this seems like an obvious vector for varomite spread. You bet it is. And Dr. Zachary Lamas uh, st published that study. And uh, anyway, from one hive to another, and maybe that's not confirmed. Oh, it's been confirmed that they do vector mites around that way. Would putting a queen excluder on the entrance of a hive to keep the random drones out be another reasonable varroa mite management tactic? I realize this may cause other problems like keeping the hive's drones trapped, but have you heard of any, anyone doing this? And I have an apame hive with a queen excluder 
setting on the dial and I'm wondering if I should try it. Okay, first of all, I want to address the app I may hive with that queen excluder dial. No, don't use that. And the reason I say that is uh, the app I may hives are, are cool, but uh, that little dial that's on them would really restrict all traffic in and out of that hive. So I'm not a fan of that at all. The other thing is the entrance. Um, I have this queen excluder, which also excludes drones for the entrance. But I'm glad this comes up uh, from Dustin because um, when I used this, it was only for 72 hours. I don't want any of the people that are following what I'm sharing uh, to think that putting on a queen excluder should be a long-term control method. I don't like that at all. The only reason I put this on was this year for fun to do an experiment. I had a really squirrely uh, swarm of bees that I put in a hive and I wanted to make sure they stuck around because bees have a tendency to be introduced to a hive, but then their foragers are still out, their scouts are out, they're looking for new places to live. The scouts come back and say, hey, I found a better box, let's get out of here. And the next thing you know, day and a half after you think you've got this awesome swarm, they're all gone. So I put one of these on for 72 hours and I got this one from Daydont, and, uh, or Daydont, however you want to say it. But anyway, I put this over the entrance. It kept the queen from getting out until I started to see pollen coming in. Then I realized they're committed. Then I took it off. 72 hours max. Please don't leave any queen excluder on your hive that prevents drones from coming and going uh, for an extended period of time like that. Now, the much better method, and I'm going to ask you to watch an interview with Dr. Zach Lamas. And the reason I say that is because I had a method for him that would uh, help control the drones and keep them in the hive, prevent them from flying out and holding them caged until that uh, third day had passed. And on the third day is when we'd pull them and any of the mites that are with them. So I'm going to put that interview on there and he'll explain, first of all, uh, the way he studied the vectoring of rodestructor mites on the bodies of drones and why the worker bees at different times of the year, so this is not the same always, but during different periods of the year when drone numbers are not in high production, then of course the nurse bees again are the targets of your rodestructor mites. So you need to be aware there's a lot of things going on here, but the bottom line is I do not advise people to use queen excluders. Some people just Pull the bottom box, put a full-size queen excluder right over the landing board, and then set that bottom box back on. Now you've locked in your queen, all your drones and everything else. Uh, workers can pass through it, but there again, uh, I've made observations of my own and videos of my own that demonstrate that not all workers can even get through uh, queen excluders. So another vote for putting them on for an extremely limited amount of time. And my preference is for the entrance queen excluder but not the dial type. Uh, there's just, that's too restrictive, especially this time of year. So that's my answer to that. Question number six comes from Sean in uh, Oakland, Oregon. Good morning, Fred. I was reading an article in B-Source about alternatives to using the smoker. Where we're in the forest, they are a fire hazard so many years ago. I switched to sugar water and essential oils and now honeybee healthy and uh, goes on to talk about that. But here's the thing. Uh, you're right. There are a lot of places in the world where 
smokers that are being used by beekeepers do present a fire risk. And a lot of backyard beekeepers and stuff have started fires because they took their smoker and they were outside and they felt like, ah, oh, it's all done. I'm done doing this and that. And they forget and they put the smoker in a garage or they sit it on the ground or it leans on something. Then the wind picks up or they put it in the back of their car and they see all the smoke pouring out because they went to do work at an outyard somewhere. But uh, smokers really need to be controlled and should be in some kind of metal box when you're done that doesn't breathe so that you'll put it out. Some people put a cork in the end of their smoker. Some people have a metal cap that goes over the top of it. There are lots of things uh, that people do to control the fire that they're carrying with them when they're attending to their bees. Now, I have said in the past, and I have used in the past, sugar syrup with honey bee healthy added to it, much as described here, and especially these super hot, super dry days, and it depends on what kind of inspection I'm doing. I would much rather my tool belt for beekeeping has a leather holster just for my squirt bottle, and that's because I squirt swarms with it, I squirt bees when I'm doing inspections. Now, if they're super feisty, I have to have a backup plan of a smoker. If I have a, you know, if I go up to a beehive and there's a bunch of guard bees on the landing board with their mandibles open and they're watching every move I make, I think that would probably be a good time to use your smoker. So here's the good news. There's a brand new smoker out. Guess who has one? I do. Guess who's going to share about it? I will. I'm going to talk to you about it in the coming week. I'm going to make a video about it, especially with the rain and the storms coming up. I might be able to catch up around here, but I have a low smoke, not low smoke. It is low smoke, but it is no fire. In other words, it uses a glow plug to ignite it. And then, of course, when you turn it off, when you unplug it, because it's battery powered for the glow plug to get it going, it takes about five minutes, but then you're good for a couple hours. And uh, as soon as you turn it off, there's no smoke. So it's a cool smoke. Guess who else likes cool smoke? Your bees. So when you're smoking your bees, make sure that the smoke is cool. But anyway, I'm going to make a video and this is a great segue for that. So look for that in the coming week from Sean. I have a great new smoker that I met the people at Hive Life in Sevierville, Tennessee back in January. And uh, the cool smoker at first I thought, ah, last thing he needs another smoker. It looked just like every other smoker. But then when I realized it has lavender pellets and all this other good stuff and that you don't have to fuss around with lighting it because, by the way, a lot of beekeepers have troubles with their smokers. And the minute you need it, it's not smoking. Then when you're all done inspecting your beehives and you're in the garage or wherever you go with all your stuff, look, your smoker's going great guns all of a sudden. So this one ignites, smokes at the right level, the right amount, for just as long as you need it. And we're gonna talk about it this coming week. So put that on your to watch list. Fred's gonna show us something fun. Anyway, question number seven comes from Ian from Adelaide, South Australia. This is my second year of keeping bees and we're having a mild winter, minimum 18 to 12 Celsius, and the max is 10 to 17 Celsius. Almond trees and a number of native trees are in full bloom. I have two hives from swarms captured on my house wall. They are still flying and bringing in pollen, and I'm concerned that they may be becoming honey-bound. What would hives, let's see, what would be the minimum temperature to hive to harvest the honey and replace the frames with empty comb? Both hives have 
full-size brood box and honey super for the bees, queen excluder, and then the honey super for me above it. Thanks for your help. Okay, so, well, warmer is better, of course, and by the way, uh, 15 Celsius, which is the upper range there, 10 to 17 Celsius, that's over 60 degrees. So anytime you're over 15 Celsius, it's a sunny day, you can get into your hives and just don't linger around. But here's the thing, going into winter, now I don't know what the winter is like there, I have to be honest, South Australia. So if it's South Australia, maybe that's even colder. So they're going into winter and uh, I never worry about being honey bound at the end of the year and I'll explain why. So here we get into late September and there's goldenrod, there's asters and all these other resources and the bees really do fill up on nectar. In other words, you can start to see that even the brood area starts to be backfilled and your queen starts to run out of areas to park her eggs, right? Uh, and that's not a problem for me and I'll tell you why. Because we're going to get these weird days where it gets really cold. Like here, as described by Ian, 8 to 12 centigrade. So when we get these really cold days, what are the bees doing? They're not foraging, so they're going to be consuming the honey that's uncapped first. And that will be what's in the brood area. And then guess what? The queen can put her eggs right there. So I always see that as kind of backstory. A lot of people don't know, and I'm not a submariner. I used to certify subs in deep submersibles back in the day. And uh, But back in the old submarines, when they um, would get ready for a deployment, they would actually walk on their food. That's right. So they would store their canned goods of food. They would run it right down the passageways of the sub, down below decks there, and then they would put boards over the top of it or metal plates or whatever they did, but they were walking on that to make maximum use of food storage. And then, of course, as they consumed the resources, they removed the plating, they pulled their, you know, their cans out and stuff like that. And then they consumed them and then they gradually ran out and then they were just going with storerooms. Well, that's the way I look at it for your bees. It's the areas that they're using right now and they backfill that with their resources, but they're going to quickly consume those. And then that's going to open up usable space again for your bees. So I'm not worried about that going into winter. So the other thing is, um, I don't know that I would get into harvesting, but here's the thing. Uh, when you harvest honey, you're making sure that they have enough honey on to get through winter, and that's regional. So I've determined here that I need a deep brood box, which is full of brood and nectar and pollen, and then the medium box that's full of honey. That's all they've needed for wintertime with an insulated inner cover. So I don't need anything beyond that. I could pull that off. And so since you're going into winter, I don't know if you're also running out of uh, pollen sources. I mean, right now you have a lot coming in and you also have things in bloom. So it's kind of contradictory to what would be going on here at the end of the productive year. But uh, when winter is coming in, I don't worry about that. So the other part is when to pull honey. Now honey for the backyard beekeeper uh, when we pull it on cold days, we're not going to process the honey because it's really hard to do. So what I like to do is I like to be in the 80s in Fahrenheit when I'm pulling honey because that's when I want to do the extraction. And of course, everything goes much quicker. So you might find an area where you can close up your honey supers and warm them up to the high 80s, even the low 90s. And then it's a holding temperature there. People that are in heavy production for honey, they have uh, hot rooms that they warm their honey in before they go into processing because it's easier on the pumps, it flows better and everything else. So same thing, you can create a small scale hot room somewhere in a corner in your basement 
maybe consider insulating it and stuff and then just using a dehumidifier which is what i use and if the dehumidifier doesn't have to dehumidify the fans running and when the fans running it's heating the space and it just happens to be in the low 90s when my fan just runs by itself in a closed space so now i have supers with honey in them that are in the 90s so i can put them in an extractor and uh, take care of it so warmer the better for extracting and pulling your frames but of course inspecting anytime it's above 15 celsius on a sunny day that's good to go i know i went a long way around the barn on that answer there so question number eight comes in from david jackson tennessee i have a question i've heard old pollen and bee bread are only used by bees for about six weeks and i have numerous frames that have extensive stores that made it through the winter are those stores just blocking up my brood nests and not going to ever be used and should i pull these and clean out the pollen and bread i have one hive that has a deep box almost full of these resources they don't appear to be used if i should pull or replace them what is the best way to extract unusable pollen and do i do it and save the comb so yes you do it and save the comb so here's and that's true uh bees often this happens to a lot of people when they come into spring and you find out that there was bee bread bee bread is nothing but the pollen that's been brought in by your foraging bees and then of course the nurse bees amend that with honey and nectar and it starts to ferment and the prime time for them to consume that is about 48 hours after it's been brought in and processed by the bees that's why it even smells strong you can smell it because that fermentation process is going on and in my building that has three observation hives in it when there's a whole bunch of pollen coming in and nectar is there but it's brooding up then you smell the bee bread and it's really interesting so then when it gets old what happens to it so we've all seen the pollen that just kind of fills up and it looks old and they seem to put more wax on it so they may even be isolating the pollen because guess what else some of the pollen truth be told has pesticides in it it has some things in it that your bees find undesirable and they will not feed it to their uh, developing larvae so uh, one of the things they do is they they're really bad at cleaning it out and getting rid of it which is annoying to me it takes a full face of pollen to feed an entire frame the same size of brood so during their open brood period is when they're being fed so um once it's there it's uh you want to save it so here's what i recommend you do you pull the frames of the pollen hopefully they don't have brood in them and so if they're not adjacent to the brood i would pull them out you can soak them in warm water this time of year we have nice hot water if you just set out um they're not bird baths but plastic bins and things like that that are full of water get hot soak them in there and then uh, you can turn them upside down because remember the cells are angled turn them upside down you can shake it out you can spray it with your power sprayer you can spray it with your garden hose somebody asked me recently if i use hot water or cold water in my um, pressure washer and the thing is uh, i pay out 150 feet of hose lay it out in the yard let the sun warm it up today it's going to be in the low 80s and the garden hose will be much more than 80 degrees and then i have hot water and i just spray them down with it but uh, and you can of course don't hit the wax melting temperature and then you just blast out all the pollen 
Now they're after you're done with that and you get the pollen out of those cells from softening it and then spraying it out. Um, I like to spray them down with 10% bleach solution. So that's 10% bleach, 90% water. And uh, I spray that off and then I let that dwell for a while. So there's a dwell time there that the bleach uh, helps take care of things. And then you hose it off again with fresh water, put it in storage and uh, put it back in your hives when you need it. And that way you've saved the frames and nothing's going to eat them. And the bees do not give a hoot about the Clorox bleach smell. It smells like it came from a swimming pool. No big deal. A lot of bees drink at swimming pools. So that's what I do. Yeah, save them. No reason to get rid of them, but you got to wash them out because bees don't clean them. I did try spraying uh, frames of pollen with um, sugar syrup and see if I could get bees and other varmints to come to my feeding station and clean them out. And uh, you can do that at the end of the year. It doesn't work very well right now, but when the wasps are in high numbers, they'll tear it out for you. So, but now it's a waiting game where you could have just soaked it, rinsed it, spritzed it with uh, bleach water, and then uh, put them in storage or put them right back on your hives if you need them. So there you go. Question number nine comes from Jody in Cave Spring, Georgia. Let's see, I'm new with only one hive that was removed from a house and I moved them to a Layens 22 frame insulated hive and they have seven frames right now. Cause with the Layens frames, you have following boards, follower boards, dividers, whatever you want to call them. And that lets you start your bees off with fewer frames because bees do better in smaller spaces. And then you expand as they develop, which is a great advantage to horizontal hives. Okay. They have a frame of honey in the middle of the brood. Uh, should I move it to the outer edges? So if you've put these frames in there and they were from um, a removal from a house, you definitely want to put the capped honey resources outside of where the brood is. I push all the brood frames together and that's where you bees do best. In fact, if they need other resources brought closer to the brood, they will do that on their own. They'll move it around on their own. So definitely move that frame of honey out of the middle of the brood. The comb overall is not terribly stable and my rubber bands were a bit loose and the comb only fit in the bottoms of the frames. They have uh, been in the lands for about two months and I had one with brood fall out of the frame and when I tried to check the last time I got scared to go back in the hive again. Well if the brood fell out of the frame you need to get back in the hive and put that back together and as much as possible, if you're putting a uh, comb that you've cut out from somewhere, you want that up near the top if you can as much as possible. And uh, rubber bands, I understand that it doesn't fit all the time. And sometimes you can, you know, the people that ask about this would be people that do a pile of cutouts. So like Randy McCaffrey, Dirt Rooster, Jeff Orchoff, Mr. Ed. These would be people that could talk to you about problems like that if the comb is falling out and not under a lot of control. But uh, you don't want anything to pull too tight against the top. But what I was doing is uh, I drilled holes in the tops and bottoms of frames that I knew I was going to put comb in. And then I ran my uh, rubber bands through the holes and then I used toothpicks to hold the rubber bands. So they didn't wrap around the outside of the frame at all. Uh, they went through the middle and just a toothpick through the hole. And then you could put your comb anywhere in that. And if you have the choice of putting your comb anywhere high or low, of course, you want to put it 
higher because the bees are quicker to attach it to the underside of those cover boards, particularly when we're talking about the lands frames, and that's what this is. So um, finding new ways to configure your uh, rubber bands. The other thing is I got a bunch of natural rubber bands and the bees did not chew them up and remove them. In fact, they left them in the comb and they worked around the rubber bands. So I think uh, probably need to look into a little bit more. I'm not saying that you had this problem, but I did. Uh, the bees didn't chew up the rubber bands, the rubber bands didn't deteriorate and we need thinner rubber bands or something to make sure that that's a temporary thing and that's much easier for the bees to tear it up and remove. So, but you got to get back in there. Don't let your brood fall out and just lay there because now they'll build wonky comb all over the place. So I hope Jody can get right back out there. Question number 10. Last question of the day comes from Jeff from Cincinnati, Ohio. And a few videos ago, you mentioned you were testing a new Apame entrance. Any update on that work? I've got a couple of Apame highs and I like them quite a bit but find the entrances to be too restrictive, particularly in spring when the bees have a need to clear out winter casualties. Comments? Okay, so for Jeff, I'm with Jeff on this. Um, and it was probably unfair because we talked about the new entrances that Apame is working on. Apame is working on a lot of new products that were supposed to already have been launched. And uh, so even today, before I responded to this question, I went to the website to see if they're being offered and they're not. So they're not available yet. Uh, the key to these new entrances, they should be about five bucks a piece. And they match up with the screw holes. In other words, so what you've already got mounted on the front of your hive, you should be able to unscrew those and put the new ones right on. But the question is, and I wrote to them today also, so obviously don't have an answer yet, but uh, when those new items will be out because they were research and development stages and uh, getting feedback from different beekeepers. And uh, so now they should have been out. So I don't know what's going on. I did notice that a lot of things were listed as not in stock or not available a week ago. And today everything does appear to be in stock and available. So that's the good news on that. Some of the seven frame nucleus hives are also listed as not available right now, depending on what color you're trying to get. Um, but they seem to be restocking. So I think they're catching up. And I've had no contact with them to know one way or the other. The good news I liked about uh, their innovation with the new entrance reducers that were going on, first of all, we slide them so you control, you know, how much uh, exposure there is because another thing that we're coming up on is some robbing potential. So we like to close this up, but I'm with you. I don't like those uh, mouse guards on them that have the little arcs in them that go down. They're very restrictive. And uh, if you're doing cleanouts for your bees in the wintertime, uh, those, of course, are in the way of doing that. So I like the, uh, what they showed me at another expo, uh, which meant that the openings were three-eighths of an inch high. So they are already a mouse guard then. And uh, that allows you to get in and clean out with your clean-out tools. So I much prefer that and also having that advantage of sliding them to close or open them like that and they even make them uh, or will be making them for people with wooden hives so if you have a wooden hive wooden landing board then you'll be able to implement those two and have greater control in a pinch you walk up and you see that there's robbing going on or something like that being able to just make an adjustment while you're there i've done it to the to the apame hives now um, when i see different things going on i'll close them up a little bit or open them back up depending on what's going on so 
yeah, that's it. They are restrictive. I'm glad for what at least they say will be coming out. I have no connection with the company other than just like you. I ask a lot of questions, make suggestions, things I'd like to see. And it also, I'm looking forward to that 10 frame feeder that they put on that is a center cavity built into it with a plastic insert that will be able to feed fondant to your bees. So, or any solid material. So that means you could be feeding pollen patties, you could be feeding winter patties and things like that through an enclosed uh, insert right in the middle, which means it will be directly over the brood. So again, I looked for that and that's not being offered on the website either. So I did see the prototypes. I saw you know, everything looked fantastic, stuff I want, and uh, it's not available yet. So thank you for the question. So now we're in the fluff section today. So I already did a shout out for Bruce's Bees, but I also have to tell people because there's been some buzz around online, Facebook and everything else. Uh, a lot of people who went to Hive Life last year are waiting to go again this year and they're just waiting for the tickets to come available so that they can buy them. And I have to tell you, um, wait on the Hive Life tickets because there seems to be some stuff going on there and there may actually, um, the Hive Life conference in Sevierville, Tennessee may actually be changing. In other words, as far as who's participating, who's running it, and so on. And rather than try to explain that myself, I'm going to put a link down here in the video description. I want you to go to Nature's Image Farm, which is a YouTube channel. And they had a live stream with Cayman Reynolds, who has, you know, run the Hive Life Conference for the last three years. And uh, they've got some very important information for people to know about. So please don't buy tickets. Please don't make reservations there at Sevierville, Tennessee until we kind of find out what's shaking out here because there are some things going on and the the location there may be a competing um conference too so i'm just going to send you via link or you can just search it yourself nature's image farm greg burns runs that and they did a live stream with cayman reynolds and he explained a lot of kind of what's going on there so don't buy tickets don't make reservations yet wait until we have all the information and I don't have all the information yet either. So I just have to put that out because I know a lot of people are waiting for that. And because last year it sold out, you know, so I think there were 500 people in a waiting list. That's a lot. So the venue sold out, the conference sold out. I anticipate it'll be the same this year. So, and that's why people are waiting. They want to, you know, not like a, you know, rock concert or something where people are unable to get their tickets and they post live streams crying because they couldn't get them. But uh, you want to wait until you find out what the conference will include, who the speakers are, and who's running it before you buy your tickets. Enough on that. So another thing is, uh, because we have all the heat, we have uh, a lot of resources in decline in the environment right now, depending on where you are and what's going on be vigilant about robbing. So we're talking about your plan of the week for your bee yard right now. Watch for robbing. What do you do and what does it look like when they're robbing? If they're flying in and out of there and if that landing board starts to look cluttered and there don't seem to be many guard bees or you see a bunch of dead bees in front of the landing board, uh, it's time to close down that entrance. Now here's the other thing. Do you have a weak colony or a colony that's a little behind the others? They need a very narrow entrance. What's a narrow entrance? three-eighths of an inch in height by about two inches in width. Three-eighths height, two inches in width. 
they can defend that. If they can't defend it, robbers can't get in. And they are getting kind of intense right now. And the way I know is any frame of honey or used frame that's had honey extracted, if it's accessible to the bees, they're all over it right away. So that tells me that we have a high robbing potential. So the other thing is it's a great time this week. I've said this almost every week, but it holds true. Do pollen counts on your landing boards. When do you do it? Two o'clock in the afternoon would be good. And you go out and you see if you're getting at least 10 loads of pollen going in per minute. And this is, of course, assuming the weather's good. If you Don't do this in the rain. But uh, if they don't have that flow of pollen going in, then you may have reduced brood and uh, you may be queenless. And we need to head off queenlessness and deal with it in less than 21 days. So hopefully you're inspecting your hives at least by the end of each third week. And landing boards tell us a lot of information. So the more hives you have, uh, the easier it will be for you to see that something's wrong with one of them. So I'm watching my nucleus hives. And uh, for me personally, they're very annoying because they're doing extremely well. Another funny video that I have coming up. Uh, we know that I like to see you put your landing boards at 16 to 18 inches off the ground. Well, I have a skunk that was jumping. So, I mean, getting on his tiptoes and hopping so that he could scratch and annoy the landing board of one of my hives. And I raised that hive up even higher. So, it's really interesting to me. If you're looking at your hives... And hopefully you have grass around them. A lot of people don't. They have them on pavers and things like that. But if you have grass, this is a great time to look around at your beehives. You look for muddy footprints on the front of your hive, on the landing board, little scratch marks. And you also look to see if your grass is smashed down and if it's a little bit muddy right in front of your hive. All of my hives have uh, grass in front of them. So it's very conspicuous. Plus I have cameras everywhere, which is why you get to see this uh, annoying skunk jumping on the bees. Now he did give up and move on eventually, but uh, it was interesting to me that he pushed my upper limits. Large skunk to begin with, and of course now it can reach apparently to 18 inches. So moving on, be aware of that. So look for animal evidence and things like that. Uh, let's see. Oh yeah, go around and look at the alignment of your hives because they seem to shift and I don't even know why they do it. My wife pointed out to me that uh, she thought an animal had been in one of my beehives because when you look at the back of it, the top box had shifted forward enough that you could see little bee faces there. So I went out with a bar clamp with the twist handle and I just put it against the upper box and the back of it against the lower box and I turned that and it just pulls them into alignment. If you do that on a nice hot day, uh, it's easy to do the propolis and stuff is acts as the lubricant for that and then it'll seal it back up. So I like bar clamps for aligning the hives. So it's the other thing. Check the alignment forward, tilting forward towards the landing board. Not a bad issue at all. It's tilting side to side that tends to challenge the bees. But by now they've drawn out all their comb and everything. But if you're hoping that they're going to draw comb, uh, keeping that hive very level side to side is going to be very important so check the alignment because guess when we try to do all this stuff when the weather turns bad and there's a storm coming and it's snowy and everything uh, so do it while the weather's warm and it's really nice align your hives get things nice and level and true and be prepared to handle heavy weather because there's no shortage of heavy weather all over these days so do that strap downs tie downs 
uh, putting bricks and things on top of your hives, especially when they're really tall. Now we count on the physical weight of the honey and everything that's in the hive to add mass. And this is where um, you kind of strap them down. You don't want to be running out there, but having straps around your hives, I'll say it again, shipping straps, the ratchet type. Uh, somebody sent me um, another list of a type of strap that people use for their canoes. It's just a pull through and then it catches and holds it. Uh, you could try that. That's a rapid strap. It probably works. But I like the ratchet style and they have a much heavier capacity. Uh, we don't know what kind of weather conditions. So here's, here's what I always advise for myself and others. Overdo it. Really strap those things down. And then if they blow over, they get knocked over, they stay together. Your bees don't all get exposed. And here's the other thing. Because my hives are all elevated uh, for skunks. 16 to 18 inches off the ground. This is a huge benefit when a lot of water comes washing through. The water doesn't invade the bottom box and uh, cut off the entrance from my hives. So, and soak them and ruin everything and wash the ground out from under them. So these are all interesting things to be aware of. We have weather dynamics. I've never seen weather uh, the way they've had it in Vermont this year with all the rain and uh, Hardwick, which is a town right near where my grandparents used to live in Morrisville there. And we go through Hardwick on our way up to Greensboro, to Craftsbury. And uh, I can't believe all the water they're dealing with there and the damage that's been done to, to homes and structures that are very old. So we don't know what's coming. Therefore, we should try our best to prepare for the very worst. And hopefully your beehives are not in the lowest areas that or adjacent to rivers and things like that. But elevated helps your bees, keeps them away from the skunks, and also may help them from moderate uh, to heavy rains and things like that that otherwise would soak your hives. So that's it for today. If you have your own questions that you'd like me to consider for a future question and answer video, please go to thewaytobee.org and submit your question on that page, The Way to Be. Also, if you want to like see the patch that I'm wearing here, it's an iron-on. You don't even have to have sewing skills. You can go to my website and uh, these patches are for sale there. You can put them on your ball cap or anything. And uh, there's also a store link if you want to wear merchandise that uh, has the way to be on it. I don't make a lot from that stuff, but Teespring is easy for me because all I do is submit my designs and then they handle everything. Of course, they're also getting most of the profit, but... Uh, it's a good way for you to get some merchandise for your money and also for me to get a little sideline income from it that I then fold right back into this podcast and, of course, the YouTube content that I create. So I want to thank you for being here with me today and get ready for those storms and get outside right now and fix your stuff before the weather turns bad. Thanks for watching, and I hope that your bees are doing well. Have a great weekend. Mm -hmm.